everybody, and welcome to Side Talks. Corey, I'm trying something new because Billie Eilish won a bunch of Grammys, and I'm trying to be close and quiet. So, funny that you mentioned that. Um, today was Corey, like... close and quiet. Okay, I'm sorry. Funny that you mentioned that. Uh, today, okay, make it stop. Make it stop. Make today, it stop. Today, what, what, what do I have to do to please you? What do I have to do to please you? Turn uh, into Billie Eilish. Anyway, yeah, no kidding. That was... Um, where I was going with that today was basically like a holiday for every gay kid at, at my school. Um, every since, day is a holiday for the gay kids at well, Aspa. this in particular. Um, she won As five Grammys or something, and you know we we threw a parade in her honor. Um, nice. Anyway, I'm Corey Kraft. I'm a I do this podcast with you. This is the weirdest intro we've done thus far. Um, this I did is the try least to, informative intro. Definitely, I tried to kick it off on a Billie Eilish note, and I failed. Uh, but I am Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema, and this is Side Talks, and I'm hurrying now to get through it so we can get the podcast going. But Let's, what do we talk about? Billie Eilish. That's it. This yeah. is the Billie Eilish podcast. Here we go. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute. Round one. Fight. fight. It's time for a five-minute fight. We've been teasing this one for a bit. Oh, you've just been pushing it off. Even though you know I'm going to lose, go ahead, Sam, get ready. I get it. I get it. So would you mind starting the clock? Perfect. So what are we fighting about, Corey? Go ahead and say it. The 2009 remake of Little Women by Greta Gerwig, beloved by all. 2019. With, that, what did I say? I think 09. Okay, sorry. I, I know what year it is. Yeah, me too. Beloved by all except for one single person on this planet. Oh, you're right. Everybody else in the world loves this film except for me. I'm not going to burn up any more time with that kind of bullshit. I'm just going to tell you right now that here are my thoughts about okay, Little Women. Okay, please share them. It's fine. Okay. I don't mind this film. It's okay. It, I was I went and saw an 8.30 a.m. screening of it. I was very hungry in the first 45 minutes because they were not serving food yet. So I'm pissed about that. That is not Greta Gerwig's fault. It is not the fault of a little woman. Um, but I don't love this film. It's fine. It is... Uh, I'm trying to think of how to sort of start this. It's precious. It's way too precious. Mm. It's 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 not a masterwork. Mm. It's fine, but it's not a masterwork. And people are acting like this is the best film ever. We didn't need this film again. She should have waited a few more films in before she approached this. It's safe feminism. It's a safe approach at trying to rethink this material that's been done over and over and over again. She doesn't commit. There's a We get a moment here and a moment there, a moment of the mom having, you know, sort of this... Uh, you know, I'm angry every day thing, which I'm like, yes, we're going to go down this road. Mm, we don't. A moment of Joe might be queer. Mm, we don't go down the road. It's just it, it's just not committed. It's just pretty and lovely and, and nice and enjoyable and all things precious. I, that, I, I would counter that by saying that I think the glimpses that you mention yeah. In a readaptation of Little Women, a revolutionary in and of themselves. No, they're not. That the we're not there anymore. Look I, at look at what's going on in the world. Sure, we're not at a place where is, we just we just brush up against something. Commit, commit, commit. Greta Gerwig, you can do That's a different it. movie. That's a different. I'm movie just saying than she this. can do that. She can make that. Of course, movie she and she's not. She's she not didn't making, with this. She's not making a committed, interesting film. She's remaking a, like a, a slightly modern version of what's already been done a million times. It's a significantly more modern version than you're giving it credit for uh, being. Why? Because um, there's like a cute dancing on the porch that's just kind of irritating. Oh my god! You know that like, kind sure, of thing. That's fine. like I'm modernizing it by making the dance like kind of cuter than it would normally be. I so so <laughs> what is it? What is the problem with taking this beloved text and? I, I mean, I think the most distinctly modern thing about it, and the best thing mm. about it, is the ending. How it 
and I, I want to dance around this in case anybody hasn't seen it, how it has the book's ending and it has a distinctly more modern take on the ending at the same time. It's still a very safe ending and it's still it's heteronormative. Brilliant. It's still heteronormative but you're in an absolute way. Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. I mean, so, you, what, so, and? so your it's argument, is, it's your argument is don't do that? Um, my argument is people have approached this this particular text a lot of times. Yes. And everybody acknowledges that. So why not approach it now as as a young, innovative female filmmaker who's come out of an indie scene, as indie as you can get, yeah. is like $500 movie indie, Greta Gerwig. Like, why can't you take this Hollywood money that you're being given, and if you're going to do some sort of recycled text that's been done over and over and over again, why not really revolutionize it? Why play it so damn safe? I don't think it's safe. I think oh, it is. Oh, it's so safe. And no, that's why I, everybody I loves so. it. Let's face it. No, that's why, no, no, that's no, why no. the general population loves it, because it's safe as hell. Well, what's wrong with making a movie that appeals to people? You're just I, not doing a masterwork then. You're making mm, a film that's fine, I disagree. that everybody's going to forget about, that nobody really cares about, but feel feels like because it has these little brush ups or these glimpses, it feels like safe feminism. It feels like safe the movie itself, indie filmmaking, which it's not. The movie itself says this in one of I think the most profound lines in any film from last year, which is when Joe and Florence Pugh's character, yeah. whose character I can't remember, are talking about how important it is to tell women's stories even if they don't seem significant. And just the telling of those stories, just the expression of that is enough to elevate it into art. And that's the point of the um, movie. I don't it's, think... It's I'd, humble by design. It's Is it vanilla by design? It's not vanilla at all. Yeah, it's it not. does. It feels that way. It I feels like... It feels structurally, like... the gambit pays off in spades. I mean, the whole thing just, you know, is designed to, you know, not only give each of these characters who are underserved in many of the other film adaptations their own sort of life and internal experience, but to bring that to the screen using such brilliant writing and brilliant performances. I mean, you say safe. You say it's done before. I think this is the definitive film version of this now. And mm, I don't see it any- may fe- I feel like it may feel like a definitive film version in, in 2019, 2020. I don't know that it feels that way in, you know, 2025. I think that there's a very short life on this thing. It's just... Well, I disagree. I could keep talking here, actually, but I'm going to stop because I, unlike you, I'm going to be fair to the and respect the clock. This is usually where you keep going. <laughs> Sam? We'll just have dead air on a podcast. That's good <laughs> for listening. They're going to cut this out. Don't yeah, they? I know. Unless they don't, which would be funny. Check, check. Can you hear me? It'd be as I funny can, as yeah, Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Which is very funny. Yes, it's a good And, and yeah, I hear them now. Okay. And here's your volume right here. If you need I can hear you, Sam. Uh, quit pandering. Quit pandering. I'm going to start off and just say Rachel loses a lot of points for the comments on the dance because it's just a really cute dance and shows they have really good chemistry. I think it's a great scene. Corey says it's a distinctly more modern take on the story, but Rachel's problem is that it's not modern enough or not edgy enough. But I think people were so pleasantly surprised by a remake like this that they blew it up so much that they built all the hype for it because... The box office is just filled with reboots and remakes, but this one is so, it's just such a generally good quality, slightly new, but still very faithful to the source material, and just enough of a modern tweak to get it to a wide, successful audience. And so, yeah, it's kind of 
tough to say anything negative about it, but Rachel somehow does it. So I guess props for that. But Corey wins this one. Old fashioned decisions. <laughs> Old fashioned decisions on the Side Talks podcast. Fuck this. I knew I was going to lose. I know everybody hates me. Whatever. I mean, you came with I the hot care. take. I don't know what you were expecting. You're right. I'm the only person in the world that doesn't. I, I Even I like it. I mean, this film is built to be likable. That's the problem. I don't think that's a problem, especially when it's Whatever. done with such skill. I didn't even get a chance to get into its chronological issues. Which, are, which are amazing. It's a bit of a mess. Which are amazing. You know it's a bit no, of a no, mess. No, no, no. The Y'all first, were charmed no, no, no. by, what's no, no, that no, no, gentleman's no. name, the young man that everybody oh, loves? T- Timmy? Yes, yeah, y'all I mean, were charmed by Timmy. Hair. You but were listen, ta- charmed by his hair and his bangs and no, his no, little no, no, fluffiness. No, 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 no. The the chronological resequencing of the movie, you know, is a little overwhelming. First time you see it, second time, it's just like slap because machine, all slap yeah, machine, because slap all machine. films yes, have to be pays, viewed twice. Well, go to it, hell. Uh, okay, I'll go, <laughs> and I'll have my copy and of Little Women. Take Greta with you. Oh, come on. Hey, Corey, you know what it's time for? I think it's time to make a phone call. That's right. This is our new segment: phone a friend. Who are we phoning today? We're going to call Lisa Easterling again, which may just be a regular thing, because all you bitches didn't bring any friends to the table. And I've got one friend. It's Lisa. I'd have no friends and (laughs) even fewer who I'd want to call on the phone. Yeah, you're just trying to shield me from them. Um, But you know what I think we should do here in this intro, this very long intro now? Uh, I think we should have hotline bling, hotline bling play. Do you like that idea? Yeah, and and President Trump can dance to it on Saturday Night Live. I know in your mind, yeah. I mean, it's so. just kind of spoiled that song, but whatever. That's a great idea. Let's. That's going to be there, and then we'll have a call with Lisa. Hello. Hey, Brocephus. It's Rachel. Oh, hey. What up? Um, nothing. You know, we're calling you for this little segment on the podcast, and Corey's got headphones on too, so he can hear you as well. Hi. Oh, hi, hi, Corey. And we're just wondering what you're watching. That's really what this is about. So, what have you, you know, what have you been watching? Okay, so um, you mentioned, I think, was it, was it this morning that you, was it yesterday? Whenever you texted me. Either way, the point is, I can't remember if I knew about this ahead of time or not, but the point is, I didn't plan this. I didn't pick this out to watch to talk you. about. Tony, Tony picked this out. We were hanging around in the house last night trying to be productive. I wanted to put something on that was like, that, you know, that type of film where it's not going to be completely engrossing, you're just sort of hanging around right. in and out of it, maybe something you've seen, maybe something you haven't seen in a while, that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, what he picked was uh, The Chase from hmm. 1994. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen this. this. No, Corey, have you seen no, it? No, I haven't seen you, this. Um, you may recall it when I describe it, but okay. it stars your boy Charlie Sheen oh. and Christy Swanson. Is it ringing a bell, Corey? Yes, it's ringing a bell. I haven't seen this, but I know of it. Okay. I So it's, okay, just to give the lightest of premises, um, Charlie Sheen kind of sort of accidentally kidnaps a lady, Christy Swanson, and it's like a oopsies, I didn't mean to kidnap you, kind of a misunderstanding type of thing in a convenience store, and there were cops, and there was bumbling, and there was like a Butterfinger he pretended to use on his back, and she thought it was a gun, and you know how that goes uh, all the time happens. And Sucks. so we, so then they get on the they get on a, the interstate, and there's like a cop chase. It's the whole thing. The whole movie is that is them in the car. It's just the chase movie. And um, so you can get a lot of dishes so, done while that one's on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
And, uh, yeah, and so I had not really seen that probably since the 90s. Like, maybe, I, I think I saw it on, you know, TNT or right. TBS or something, one of those kind of things. So having not seen it for 100 years, um, it was, I don't know, it was, I mean, it was bad, but it was, like, fun, kind of bad, you know what I mean? And, yeah. Um, since you don't really maybe know this one very well, I'm going to give you some special guest star treats. So one of the cops, Uh so so there's a pair of cops that are being driven around with a camera crew, like a la the show cops. (laughs) And coincidentally, they get the call that there's this, you know, this guy that kidnapped this lady or whatever. And they're the ones in pursuit. So there's a camera crew, you know, and it's very dramatic. Well, guess who one of the cops is? I would have no idea. Just none. Oh, my gosh. Pee Wee Um, Herman? (laughs) No. Good guess. Um, Very close, in fact. Um, Henry Rollins. What? <laughs> yes, he's one of the cops. He's like an officer. So, you know, there's a lot of layers to that. Oh. It's great. Henry um, Rollins was really scrapping in the 90s to put some kind of a career together that paid him. Exactly. And he's very clean cut in this. I mean, you know, kind of like a cop. He's he like, looks yeah, like a cop. Yeah, he's right. got cop vibe. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's bulky, kind of, you know, yeah, intense. Yeah, yeah he's like much. a chunk of ham. He's like a ham chunk. <laughs> like an appetizer size <laughs> ham chunk. <laughs> I think um, that's accurate description so of his bod. You're never gonna believe. I can't believe that you don't recall this. This is great. Um, I really don't. You're never gonna believe who else no, makes the guest star. Okay, where do we go from Henry Rollins and Charlie Sheen? I know. Like, and I, because you know, again, watching it was sort of like, oh yeah, oh okay, yeah, and I kind of was remembering it vaguely, and yeah. like I said, from the '90s on TV, but not in detail. And then all of a sudden. Um, so these two, so there's two guys show up in sort of a, a big, like converted sort of souped out cool van truck thing. Yeah. And they're real like doofus doofusy type characters. And um, there's two of them, and they are two of the main most popular members of a huge mega band um, that was major in the '90s. And oh my that gosh. you Red Hot Chili Peppers. Are very, Red oh hot. my god, you got it immediately! I knew, <laughs> I, I knew, knew. you were being cagey, and I was like, "This has something to do with RHCP." There's no way around it. It's no way around it. So yeah, all of a sudden, <laughs> in comes this giant, like a tricked-out SUV, and it's got Anthony Kiedis and Flea. Of course, it Flea, does. Flea just tried to get in every single film in the '90s. And he, he was, was like, "Is there a film successful?" <laughs> oh man! And then they, you know, they tried. I think they're trying to be heroes and maybe like run the car off the they road. Are and, you know, Lisa, the they are heroes, Lisa. They are heroes. Yeah, well, and they sort of, spoiler alert, they kind of mess things up a little bit and help them actually get farther ahead of the cops, you know. But, um, so, actually, yeah, that is the very literally most recent thing that we watched, and it was pretty fun. I mean, I it was a wild ride, there, well, literally. Well, so happy um, we called you because this was not on my radar, <laughs> and now it is, and I'm thinking this sounds like a really nice screening at the movie theater, perhaps. It does? Yeah, you could have things. <laughs> we could listen so, to yeah, RHCP in advance, you know, and have it on the lobby. Oh, and that's another thing. If you actually watch it, you'll notice the soundtrack is super duper punk rock. And, I mean, there's no effects and rancid and, like, all of this kind of stuff going on. And on the radio, in the car, when they're yeah. in the car. And then a lot of times, like, it's turned up for the chase scene. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's really rock and roll. So this is basically oh, a punk film. It, uh, sure. As you, as you can tell by Christy Swanson being in it. Right. Always a Christy good sign. Swanson. And heavily sponsored by Butterfinger because the Butterfinger that was the fake gun like comes up a bunch more times. 
So Butterfinger for sure had some kind of hand in this production. I wonder if we can get them to sponsor this segment of the podcast. Oh, yeah. We should call and ask. Um, And so I was curious because it came out in 94. And so I was just kind of thinking, like, I wonder how this, you know, aligned with the uh, the whole OJ OJ chase. Mm. So I looked it up and this actually came out in March of 94. So it beat it by a few months, and they wow. and that was in the Wikipedia. It was saying like, oh, this really you know was ahead of its time, and that it predicted almost exactly because there's a helicopter, a news helicopter that's following them. Yeah, and, you know, we cut to his character a lot, so it's very. Um, I, f- I feel like OJ was probably listening to RHCP in the in the blazer. I would and, think, yeah, yeah, maybe, and then also just replace <laughs> the glove with the butterfinger. So God. exactly. We can keep going with this, uh, but I should probably let you go because we've got to record the rest of the podcast. So thanks, Lisa. I'm serious for um, for calling in and, or letting us call you. Okay. And giving yeah, us this I, hot I tip. Yeah, don't be surprised when you see a <laughs> 90s California car chase series at the cinema, including this and like Freeway and California and who knows what else. I like That's it. perfect. Oh, my gosh. And I'm sure Rachel will come up with numerous um, treats and prizes to coordinate. It'll be perfect. Well, All right, thanks. We'll talk to you later. Okie dokie. Bye, Bros. Bye. What's this shit? That was ear splitting. I know. It's. I'm so annoying. I, I've noticed <laughs> this. We have to, you know, we QC. What does QC mean? Let's quality get, control? Yeah, quality check or control. Quality yeah. check. When we QC, which I like because it sounds so official, yeah. I'm always like, I have to go QC the podcast. And people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, so, but it makes me sound official. So when I QC the podcast, I think all the time, oh my God, I am so freaking annoying. And yet I just keep singing. I keep doing that. I keep m- making well, horrible noises. It, I- it gives the podcast a certain signature. People keep <laughs> coming back for it. Anyway, I'm not as annoying as the film that was on when I'm in the cardio cinema at the gym working out, as they say, or some people call it, and I'm on the tread and the screen's up in front of me. And I think you're going to get this one super quick, which is why I feel like I can take my time right now. And it is um, that man is in it that is Robert Downey Jr., and it, he's sitting across the table from some sort of a really, I mean, talk about annoying, an annoying looking creature. And there's a little metal, sort of one of those little paper footballs being flicked back and forth. Yeah, okay. I know what this is. This is the opening moments. Like you watch the first five minutes of Avengers I, Endgame. Oh, this is Endgame? This Avenger- is Endgame. That's weird. I, I saw this in the theater and I don't <laughs> have any rec. I didn't know. I was like, I've never seen this before in my life. I think because if you remember when I was sitting in the theater, I was more in tune with the gentleman next to me who was having emotional outbreaks Just during the film. ecstasy, you know, nerd oh, ecstasy. Well, um, it's, you, let's, you know, good movie. Let's acknowledge. Let's acknowledge the fact that you just got this based on a name of one actor and a and a paper football. Robert Downey Jr. has made exactly two movies since two thousand eight that are not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sad. First of all, they are both terrible. I've only seen one of them. The other is the Doolittle movie that's in theaters right now, but Sad. probably not as the release of that. Yeah, okay. But he's making like truckfuls of money. Fine. Sad. Okay, so you say he's sitting across a table from like a crazy creature or whatever, playing paper football. Well, the paper football thing happens. I mean, that only happens once in the whole franchise, and it's with Karen Gillan's character uh, Nebula, and she's uh, uh, like an android, not a crazy creature, Okay. So it's important to get that right. She's one of the daughters of Thanos, the Mad Titan, who at the conclusion of Avengers Infinity War snapped his fingers wearing the Infinity Gauntlet, which contains and harnesses the power of 
all six infinity gems and he snapped his fingers and eradicated half of all life in the universe. And these two are unlikely companions and survivors. I feel like I'm still watching cats. She is, I could keep going. Like, please stop it. Please stop it. There's a technical um, emergency. Singing the song of Skimble Shanks, the (laughs) railway cat. (laughs) <laughs> and starts tap dancing with everyone, Robert Downey Dame Jr. Judy who, Dench. Uh, and then Robert, uh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Stop, stars into stop. the camera lost, and says, "A we're cat is not a listeners. dog." We've lost them. Yeah, well, you know that's What's that's this what it is. Shit? And now, fast film terms. Hey, it's time for. I'm leaving a long pause here, so you can do it. Uh, fast film terms. Yeah, I like it. You did a good job. Thanks. I tried to do it fast. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're slowing things down now, so let me move it ahead. Here is the fast film term for today. Right. Shooting ratio. Do you know what shooting um, ratio is? No, okay. I don't. I've never heard that. Well, here it is. It, you probably haven't heard it because you don't teach math. That's true. Um, the ratio of how much is shot compared to the runtime of a finished oh, film. Oh, okay. All right. Makes that sense? makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to quote Barbara Twist, who uh, I was just at a conference and she was there, and I'm sure this is probably the last thing in the world she wants to be quoted for, but to quote her, I didn't go to math school. Uh-huh. It was just something I appreciated. Ma- math school? That's right. That's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. So I, too, did not go to math school, but I can tell you that from the written sort of example here, for instance, a five-minute film for which you shoot 30 minutes of footage, which, by the way, a five-minute film, you're probably shooting way more than 30 minutes of footage, sure. but let's just say that you did, would have a shooting ratio of six to one. Yeah, makes sense. Again, it doesn't make sense to me because I didn't go to math school, but that is certainly the case. And so what I can tell you is a documentary shooting ratio, way, way, way yeah. higher than a narrative film just by the nature of how you put a documentary together. And if it's an observational documentary, that shooting ratio goes way up to Yeah, that makes sense. Unless you're like Terrence Malick or Michael Cimino, at which point your shooting ratio is always like 9,000 to 1. At which point you just grossly indulge yourself at all times. Uh, I agree with one of those filmmakers, but not the other. I bet you can guess which one. Oh, boy. Okay, well, I've got to go to math school, so that's that's fast film terms. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'm going to talk about Fitzcarraldo. Fitzcarraldo is a 1982 West German adventure drama film written and directed by Werner Herzog and starring German actor Klaus Kinski as Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald, an Irishman living in Peru, known to the locals as Fitzcarraldo, driven by his love of music, Fitzcarraldo concocts a grand plan to build an opera house in the jungle to bring the beauty of Caruso, Verde, and Wagner to the ignorant natives. Essential to his plan is the seemingly impossible task of transporting a 365-ton ship over a mountain. 20th Century Fox was originally interested in producing the film, assuming that Herzog would use a model boat and a model mountain, but Herzog was unwilling to make such compromises. He believed that no one had ever performed such a feat in history, and likely never would again. And he was excited to capture his vision of a giant ship being pulled over the side of a mountain by hundreds of men to the sound of Caruso's soaring voice. The story was inspired by Peruvian rubber baron Carlos Fitzcarraldo. In the 1890s, Fitzcarraldo arranged for the transport of a steamship across a land bridge from one river into another, but it weighed only 30 tons, rather than over 300, and was carried over in pieces to be reassembled at its destination. 
What Herzog was proposing to do was a much more difficult task and extremely risky. The engineers he consulted told him there was a 70% chance the ropes would break and dozens of lives would be lost. For the title role, Herzog's first choice was an actor he knew well, Klaus Kinski. But he had second thoughts, believing that Kinski would go, quote, totally bonkers if trapped on location in the Amazon during the production's lengthy shooting schedule. Instead, he cast Jason Robards with Mick Jagger providing support as a mentally challenged assistant. After six weeks of filming in the jungle, Robards became too ill to finish the movie and production was stopped. The insurance company paid for the resulting costs and filming started again, this time without Jagger, who had a scheduling conflict to tour with the Rolling Stones. But with Klaus Kinski, who behaved exactly as Herzog had predicted, Kinski immediately became a major source of tension on set. He fought violently with the crew and raged over trivial matters. The natives were very upset about the behavior, and one of the chieftains offered, in all seriousness, to murder Kinski, an offer that Herzog reluctantly declined. However, as Roger Ebert observed in 2005, Kinski was a better choice for the role than Robards. Robards would have been playing a madman, but to see Kinski is to be convinced of his demons. The film's production, which endured stops and starts for more than three years, can be best described as a series of emergencies. Herzog was initially on good terms with the Amazonian tribes until he started building on tribal lands without permission and then called in the militia to protect himself from them. The tribe responded by burning down the first film set. When filming began again, another tribe launched a hit-and-run raid on the second film camp. One crew member survived an arrow through his throat while his wife was hit in the stomach, necessitating eight hours of emergency surgery on a kitchen table. Herzog recalls, I assisted by illuminating her abdominal cavity with a torchlight and with my other hand sprayed with repellent the clouds of mosquitoes that swarmed around the blood. Herzog decided against a revenge attack, believing it would be bad for relations. Another crew member was bitten by a deadly snake and immediately cut off his own foot with a chainsaw to prevent the spread of venom. Cinematographer Thomas Mock's hand was split open trying to film the climax. He underwent a two-and-a-half-hour operation to put his hand back together again without anesthesia. As he screamed and thrashed in agony, one of the camp prostitutes calmed him by pressing his head between her breasts. Why were prostitutes on set, you might ask? According to Herzog, a Catholic priest urged him to include prostitutes as part of the movie's production crew, or the men would go crazy in the jungle. In addition to the prostitutes, close to 1,000 indigenous extras were hired and housed in barrack-like conditions. Most had moved hundreds of miles from their homes. Food on set was appalling. Medical supplies were limited. The only available diversion was soccer, until the ball burst. Tensions increased when one extra died of malaria. Some extras worked for six months for an official pay rate of about $2 per day. They didn't know that filming would run twice as long as Herzog estimated, or that they would spend most of their time clearing forest slopes trying to haul a 365-ton ship up a 40-degree incline. After filming wrapped, the ship was left in the forest where it remains to this day. The making of Fitzcarraldo is told in Burden of Dreams, a documentary by Les Blank and Maureen Gosling, and it's clear that everyone associated with the film was marked or scarred by the experience. During production, 
Herzog recalls, a fairly young, intelligent-looking man with long hair asked me whether filming or being filmed could do harm, whether it could destroy a person. In my heart, the answer was yes, but I said no. Thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. We are done, believe it or not. Unlike cats, we're not going to go on for another six hours. We really appreciate you listening. We're your own cinematic Donnie and Mark Wahlberg. What, uh-oh. What do you think? Yeah, I'm afraid to ask. It's just a good vibration. <laughs> wow. Um, Sidewalkfest.com. Yeah, check us out on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, where we are constantly announcing screenings at uh, the Sidewalk Cinema. They're, they're pretty fun. They're pretty fun, I'd say. Good place to see a movie. Get a snack. Have a drink. You know, yell at Rachel about her bad opinions oh on Little God. Women. She's usually there. You can find her and yell at her. Thank you to Boutwell Studios. Yes. Thank you very much. And thank you to Splash 96 for our great theme song. So, I don't know. It, it, it's it, just a... And in closing, remember, a cat Drugs, they're bad. is not a dog. Do the root of good vibrations. Come on, come on. Feel it, feel it. <laughs> Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.